Hello, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Uh, I'm just going to take a call. I have some stuff to say, but there's three people already in the queue. Let's see if this is a disaster. Pierre, how goes it? Hey, can you hear me? I can. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Hey, I am a first-time caller to your show. Um, I wanted to know if you had any interest in talking Glenn Greenwald politics. Uh, yeah, I mean, what about them? Okay, well, I would, what he would call, I would be what he considered like a left liberal. Um, I know he uses that term kind of loosely. Um, and I guess I just wanted to get your feedback on, like, he's very smart, and he's very rhetorically smart, and he knows how to argue his point. But I just find it to be really fascinating how he seems to be very selective with what he criticizes and tends to take very absolutist approaches while being very selective. And, yeah. And so, for, for example, um, he'll call out liberals for certain free speech issues that don't strictly have a First Amendment applicability, but violate what he considers free speech norms, but then kind of casts aside things that aren't technically related to the First Amendment, but are violating free speech norms by conservatives. Um, another thing that I think is something so... Not to, hey, not to interrupt you, but can I just give you my general theory? Because I agree with what you're saying so far. Okay. My sense is... Um, uh, I like Glenn. I'm glad Glenn's around. He's had an impact on me. But my sense is he's gotten a little bit too fixated on the idea of these like evil enemies. And anyone who po opposes those enemies sort of is his friend. And I, I criticized him for the way he handled um, an interview with Alex Jones that I thought was very softball. And I thought that was a revealing moment because from his point of yeah. view – you know, Alex Jones is everything the mainstream establishment hates. So therefore, Alex Jones is sort of worth defending and giving the benefit of the doubt. So I think he is very skeptical of powerful people. He's very skeptical of the government, of the intelligence state. He rightly points out, in my view, that many progressives uh, are in favor of forms of online censorship that should worry us. And that was actually what I was going to talk about a little. I'll do it when we have sort of a gap. But um. Yeah, I think he, he sometimes has too narrow a mindset and, and ignores, for example, the fact that, as you're alluding to, plenty of conservatives are looking to squelch free speech, uh, you know, including in settings where it's more about norms than the Constitution, but, but that should still worry us. Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And, for example, like, he, another example is criticizing corporate media. And I think that, Corporate media, is, you know, has their fair share of responsibility, and they err. Um, and CNN is not – I think cable news in general is just trash. A lot of it is trash. Um, but I just don't see how, like, you can hold up or criticize – so here's one thing is where he'll use CNN or MSNBC as an example of, like, media malpractice and then make – kind of conclusions about, oh, liberal media is bad. But then he won't criticize any conservative media outlet, and then we'll come to the conclusion that it's the liberal media that's 
that's the bad um, influence. Whereas if you were to be even-handed and consider malpractice by conservative media, you wouldn't make the necessarily the conclusion that it's uh, unique to liberal media. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah. So I think that there's just selective criticism. And I think my opinion is that he's been jilted by the Democratic Party in the past, and that tends to overcome some, you know, more, maybe more even-handed approaches. And it tends to kind of color his worldview in a way that might not be necessarily, like, completely fair-minded, analytically speaking. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a sage diagnosis. I mean, part of it is the feeling that your own side sort of hates you. Glenn's an interesting case because he wasn't, it's not like he was ousted from polite progressive society. He was always a bomb thrower and he always um, held a lot of anger toward what he saw as sort of liberal quislings who, you know, as soon as there's a terrorist attack, they basically are are down to mass surveil Muslims and so forth. But I I think some of the craziness going on on the left causes people to take myopic approaches. And I think that's happened to him to a certain extent. And I, I would say that to him. I, I disagree with his priorities. And you know, there's tons of crazy stuff going on on right-wing media too. So it's not like we only have one side um, that's problematic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for uh, giving some feedback on that. Thanks, Pierre. Thank you for okay. calling. Good first call. Yeah. AA, what's up? AA, can you hear me? <clears throat> All right, I'm going to jump to Justin AA, get back in the uh, queue when you can, and we'll see if we can have more luck. Hey there, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? Uh, great. Uh, thanks for this. Uh, read, uh, haven't read your last article, but I did catch up with the last non-primo um, often reported. Um, you guys covered, I think it was Rusty a bit, and... Um, I got a sense from it, and, and maybe you have your own opinion on it, but is is uh, Katie slowly becoming red-pilled? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, red-pilled as in, like, genuinely conservative or, or permanently disliking the left? Uh, probably the latter more than I don't, I don't think someone like her or yourself could ever really become a conservative, let's say. But, uh, yeah, in, in the sense of, like, Oh my God, are all our institutions are fucked? Somewhere closer to that. Yeah, I mean, I think we both are increasingly pessimistic. I'm maybe she is more than me, and and she's had different experiences than I am in terms of like really being ostracized from lefty spaces just because it, it hit it's hit her more personally than I have, which I think might account for some of the differences. I mean, we're also different people with different um, personalities, but um. Yeah, I think in a sense she's getting red-pilled. I think we both uh, have noticed that other people in the quote-unquote heterodox, I wish we had a better term for it, space, um, do go a little bit crazy. And you see people, you know, complaining about illiberalism and then supporting Donald Trump in the same breath. And I don't think we'd ever want to go there. Uh, I don't think we're that close to that. But yeah, is she more red-pilled than me? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I was thinking more even uh, in, in, towards the past self, but yeah, I don't want to gossip, quote unquote, about your friend. Um, uh, I did want to follow up on, I think, kind of in the same vein and what your last caller said about uh, Greenwald. Um, I think I, I can't remember if I've said this to you before, but I have the impression that 
I get a lot more value out of media figures who run counter to the narrative than those who are running, you know, that I could read in any story on any major news publication. Yeah. Um, I, I think Glenn's a big contributor to that. And uh, obviously he had a huge impact just all those years ago. And I wish he would stop saying that every time he talks about himself. Uh, but um do you think that that's like a, an appropriate calibration for how you should interface with the media that the, the people who are saying what others aren't are maybe worth listening to more? Uh, in general, yeah, I think you can take that too far. I mean, because the other example of like people, people, heterodox people whose brains get melted is like, you know, before you know it, they're talking really weird stuff about vaccines and the um, CDC. So and maybe it's just like a moderation in all things type of deal. Like contrarianism, I think is very good. And we used to have, you know, websites on the left, like the new Republican slate that were sort of had a lot of in-house contrarians and they saw it as their job to poke and prod the prevailing liberal orthodoxy and come up with smart responses to it when appropriate. I think it's very healthy for an intellectual movement to have that. And I guess it's, you know, after a fallow period, I do think a lot of the stuff on Substack qualifies um, or like persuasion outlets like that, uh, or even some center right outlets that are like decent. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like Bulwark. I think you qualify. It's, it's one yeah, of the no, reasons I, I like you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's really important. But yes, you can take it too far. If, you're, if your default response is just like whatever the establishment thinks is wrong or whatever the government does is wrong, uh, you just need to be more careful and specific than that, I guess. But I just think like sure. it, it takes like nuance is hard and tricky and it takes some level of like exercising certain muscles over and over because you, you can easily fall down a, a rabbit hole of just like oversimplified black, white views of the world. Yeah. And, and um, I want to kind of plug into something you said there, a, a caller a few weeks ago said something similar. Um, you, you said like, Oh, you might fall down a vaccine rabbit hole. Um, I have a, pretty good feeling that a lot of people who we would have said were in that rabbit hole two years ago have been vindicated in a lot of ways and that more vindication is yet to come. And it depends on that. That subject covers a whole lot of ground. So yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that that's like a blanket statement for anybody who's never said anything about the vaccines, but um, I think some of the look into that or, 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 or from like the science perspective and, and the communication perspective on this? Cause I, I'd really love to see someone like you analyze this topic. Uh, I'm not an expert. My, so my sense is on the lockdown question and especially closing schools, there's like genuine good faith debate that in certain ways was like sort of squelched just cause the social cost of being like a Emily Oster type or whatever was so high. I mean, I don't know. People were mad at her on Twitter. She was fine, but people, people were going really crazy. Um, but I do think like some of the rumors that spread about like side effects and the vaccines not working, I think the vaccines were actually um, pretty awesome. And <laughs> that's one of the few things Trump did well. He like got, he got good vaccines out there. So, uh, no, maybe I should look more into it. I'm, I'm just not very sympathetic to like Brett Weinstein types because I think they have spread a lot of misinformation. I don't think they're coming at it from a place of expertise. I think they're coming at it from a place of reflexive skepticism, um, of authority and not applying the same rigor to quackish papers about ivermectin or whatever that they would apply to like a, you know, critical race theory paper. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sympathetic to Brett for other reasons, but, uh, 
he was one of the guys early on who said, this is almost definitely came from a lab. And that was verboten for a long time. And now yeah. I think it's basically the accepted norm. And, I think uh, it's like, I think people aren't sure. I think it's definitely not debunked. It's hundred percent not proven. Yeah, yeah. It's not proven. But it's that. definitely not, it's definitely not debunked, which is what people said pretty quickly. Um, anyway, I think if I had a bet on it, it's above 90. Yeah. Um, Thank you for the call, Justin. That is, that is useful. Yeah, stuff thank you, dude. Maybe I should look more into the vaccine stuff. Famous last words. AA. Let's see if we can Hello. get Hello. There we go. Now? Yep. Okay. First, I wanted to give my commiserations with uh, how poorly you've been treated on Twitter. You're always treated poorly on Twitter, but especially with the uh, claims that you like danced on PJ Vogue's grave or that you uh, you love Kiwi Farms. It's just ridiculous. That was insane. Yeah. Uh, but also, I, w- I wanted to call... Uh, talk about long-termism because your tweet's about long-termism yeah so long-termism to... is the question of what we owe to future generations mm-hmm. and it's big because of a book by uh will mccaskill, yeah, McCaskill. the, the mm-hmm. effective altruism uh, godfather type yeah and you said you thought well i don't see why we should care about people who don't exist yet because we should care about them if they do exist but if they don't exist who cares basically is that fair a version of that yeah so i guess i wanted to ask like if you imagine like a a future in which like, everything goes right, like, where people are living great lives and you know, lots, so much fulfillment and stuff like that. Um, this is like, imagine, let's say this is going to happen. Like this, this is where we're headed. I'm not saying that it is where we're Let's say, imagine hypothetically, this is yep. where we're headed. And then let's say a virus, it makes people infertile. So, so no one can have kids anymore. And this future is like canceled out. Would that be not a bad thing in your estimation? Do you think that's nothing wrong with that? I think so. Humanity dies out in this scenario. Yeah, not like people are like killed violently, but like just no one has any more kids. Yeah, um, no, I'd be sad if humanity died out. So in that sense, I prefer more people to less people. But I think if a virus prevented people from having kids, it's not as though a wrong is being. I, what the part my brain seizes on is the idea of a wrong is being committed or something bad is happening to someone who won't exist as a result. Because from where I sit not existing is just this fuzzy sort of divide by zero error. And I can't say like, if I chose not to have kids, I'm not doing harm to the people who don't exist because they don't exist. They're not around to be harmed. That That's where I trip, get tripped up. I, I agree on some level. I mean, I, I kind of see it something like opportunity cost, like, uh, you know, like if your career, let's say you has a, a bit of big opportunity you could have taken, like, if you don't take that, you're, you don't hurt your career, but you, you fail to help it, right? So you miss an opportunity something good to happen, right? So if we could have a good future, if we don't have that, we're missing out on something that could be good. So it, it's yeah, bad but then, but then a- we're saying we as a, I agree that we as a species can have better or worse outcomes, and, and maybe we'll rate that by how many planets we can permanently inhabit. I think I'd guess we're not going to. In, uh, colonize that many or or how happy we are or like the gdp but i still to me that still doesn't connect to the idea of committing a wrong against someone who doesn't exist yet because they're just not around to be wronged okay i think well here's a funny example i think from uh, will mccaskill's book so he brought up the idea of let's say you're you're hiking like a very well-trodden uh hiking not, not well it's kind of a little bit off the path but you know people are likely to go on this path and let's say you break a bottle and there's tons of broken glass all over the walking path and people walk here like barefoot so you think yeah i better not i better not i'm too lazy to pick this up so you leave this broken glass and then you come back let's say 20 years later and you see that uh 
this this glass has no one's touched it. But just as you're walking by, you see like an eight year old girl run by and get her foot stabbed up and she gets her foot mangled by this glass. Do you think, uh, oh, well, you know, this person didn't exist at the time, so therefore it made sense. So this is a good choice to not move it. Like, no, because the reason it was immoral to not remove the glass is because it could hurt a, a human being, like an actual yeah, existing that, human being. But if the human being it could hurt, it's only could hurt people who don't exist yet. Would that change it? Uh, no, I could be missing something. But if I leave a piece of glass out, it could hurt. Yeah, anyone. yeah. Okay, in this example, I'm probably doing it. I'm probably mangling it. But in this example, the person you hurt is someone who did not exist at the time. So it, it, you can imagine in a real world, this could hurt a person who could exist. But if you could only say, imagine, it could only hurt people who don't exist yet. Yeah, like it'd still be a big like deal because you're, you're gonna. There's gonna be an actual person to whom we can assign. Harm. The girl was hurt because the glass pierced her foot or whatever. Yeah, but there also will be actual people in the future. I'm likely we don't know for sure, but there, there are potential for actual people existing. And if we don't do things now, we could hurt them. Uh, yeah, I get. I and it could just be me failing to understand something. I, I for example, I'm in favor of the idea that we need to do something about climate change because mm -hmm. people who don't yet exist will be harmed. But that's conditional on them existing. Uh, to me, if someone, if you're not sure someone's going to exist, it gets a lot harder to talk about harm that may befall them. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but everything, I mean, climate change, we're not sure. Let's, it's possible that people might die out, right? So in that case, climate change doesn't matter. Right. So you, but in that sense, all future is conditional on some things, right? So there's no future that's not conditional. Right. Um, so I think, to me, it depends on how likely is it to happen. If it's very, very likely to hurt a lot of people, then it's very bad. If it's very unlikely to hurt a lot of people, it's still kind of bad, but less bad, right? So more people get hurt, and the more likely it is to happen, the worse it is. Vice versa, yeah. the, the more people get help, and the more likely it is to happen, then the better it is. That's how I look at it. What, how do you respond to that? Yeah, no, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, I, I, the overall trying to improve... The world makes sense to me. It's just really the existing versus not existing thing that that gets me and that I don't understand yet. And a lot of the philosophical arguments made by people like McCaskill rely on the this the basic claim that existing is better than non-existing, and that that's where I'm unconvinced. I don't think he says that existing. Well, I guess here's a question. Another question that's kind of tangential. How do you feel about uh, assisted suicide for people who have like terminal illnesses and incredible pain? Yeah, I think it needs to be done very carefully, but if it's done carefully, I'm in favor of it. So that seems to imply that uh, for these people who have these terrible situations, non-existence is better than living in such a horrible condition. Yeah. But would you not make the same case in reverse? If you have a great life, then existing is better than not existing. Right, but again, you already, you already exist. I want to continue to exist because I already exist, but I can't genuinely say I prefer existing than non-existing because if I didn't exist... You know, if 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 my dad never met my mom, it wouldn't have harmed me. In my view, yeah, I could be mistaken. Yeah, I get what you're saying. There's no one to care about non-existing if there's no one to exist. Yeah. But I think I'm thinking about it in terms of like, is it it's better? Like it's like it's like missing out on a great opportunity. Like, it, I don't miss anything. I'm not like worse off if I miss like a great deal. But I would be better off if I had taken that deal, right? So I'm saying like, think if someone could have a good life, it's a shame that they didn't. Now it's not like harmful that they didn't. But we missed something that could have happened that could have been good. Yeah, Does that make sense. Yeah, I. Um, but, yeah, but you don't. Doesn't. Uh, I just gotta think. I gotta think this stuff through more. I should probably yeah, read McCaskill's book also. Yeah, you should read it. It's a good book. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, think about that. Thank, right, thank you. you. I appreciate the uh, the long termism talk.
There you go. Right, what is up? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Perfect. Uh, I wanted to scoop back a little bit and uh, kind of what you guys were talking about, the green wall, just a kind of quick point I thought was interesting. Um, there is this, there's something almost kind of standpoint epistemological about the way he talks about who he criticizes, which I find pretty fascinating. Like he used to get a f lot of flack for focusing entirely on, you know, the U.S. and U.S. misdeeds kind of back in the day. And a lot of what he would say is, you know, I'm U.S. That's the, you know, I'm from the United States. That's the country I can affect. Therefore, I focus, you know, my criticism, my ire there. Um, and now he gets a lot of flack for folks on the left, and he kind of uses that same um, mindset that he says, I'm on the left, the left is where I affect things, therefore they're who I criticize. Um, and I do think there is some like weaseling in that. Like I don't think just because you are focusing on one side doesn't mean you can't hit the other. And he, I think, doesn't go the other way enough, but I did think there was something kind of fascinating there. It almost lined up with standpoint epistemology to me. Um. Yeah, well, it. well, so there's, to me, standpoint of epistemology is more the idea that, like, I possess certain knowledge by dint of my identity. And I, I can see yeah. how you interpret what he's saying is that, but I, I make a version of this argument, which is like, um, if I focus on dysfunction in liberal institutions, it's be rather than say what Trump is doing this week, it's because A, I think my voice will fix it is, is will have a better chance at affecting the dysfunction more than a conservative one. And B, everything Donald Trump does gets blanket coverage. The sort of marginal impact of my voice on that stuff matters less. So I think there's like maybe people won't agree with that, but I think there's a good faith argument that, for example, you don't need to be the eight millionth person criticizing Donald Trump this week. That's well covered. Uh um so yeah yeah it, i was saying it was totally invalid like i think it's like a valid thing to say like i said i think you can sometimes use it too far yeah i think glenn does that sometimes both you know and sometimes in foreign policy sometimes now but i did think there was kind of an interesting connection there yeah but yeah it could also just be misunderstanding no i don't think you're misunderstanding and i i think just at the end of the day it's about balance like if the only thing you're ever mad about is like campus controversies are the left when, when there's a lot of dysfunction to go around. I just think, um, you know, you should probably rethink that. Yeah. And then the other thing um, is, is, I was, I mean, you kind of, I believe you wrote about this already, but I was actually like, I feel like maybe I shouldn't get shocked anymore, but I was pretty shocked at how the whole BYU incident got reported out. Yeah. Like, I know it's not the biggest deal in the world, um, but it just seemed like so lazy the way it all came into being like and how easily like one you know i'm in, I'm in salt lake city so i'm not too far from provo so i kind of saw you know that 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 uh that conservative newspaper or whatever that was kind of debunking it ran that like almost instantly after that all happened which means it took them maybe you know two or three hours of work to do that thing and it just it it even though it's not the biggest deal in the world, that level of just like neglect, I just, it was pretty shocking to me. What I found interesting was the Times spent hundreds of words quoting, um, uh, what's her name? Richardson's her last name. What's her first name? I'm blanking. Uh, it, I, the volleyball I, I, player. I, I, Doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Her, her, I think her aunt and her dad, neither of whom were there. Um, the Times painted this picture of, 
what honestly sounded like the verge of a race riot. That was really how they described it. Like they said that she was so scared because the abuse was so severe that she was going to get physically attacked. And as an editor or a writer, you need to take a deep breath because you probably have to produce this quickly, but be like, are we comfortable like accusing the kids in a gym of at BYU of being on the verge of a race riot? Like something that hasn't really happened in decades in the U S I was shocked at how bad the reporting was and, and how little work they put in to verify anything. So I'm, I'm just agreeing with you, but it's just, it's just a bad sign. Like, again, it's the New York times. If we can't trust them to sort of cross the T's and dot the I's, who can we trust? So yes, I was disturbed by that. Yeah, like I said, it's not like it's not the hugest story in the world. So in the end, it's not the most impactful thing in the world. But just that level of just really not seeming to care, it still just took me by surprise. Yeah, not so, good. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for the call, Ray. Salt Lake City's beautiful. I went there for a story that uh, got killed, and I was surprised uh, how much I liked it. Thanks. For, uh, what's up, Rand? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Um, I, I missed the first few calls. I don't know if anybody's talked about you being on Destiny's stream tomorrow. Has, has that come up? <laughs> no, I didn't know I was... I was gonna... I'm happy to go on it. I thought I was interviewing him for my podcast. Well, he's, he's really... Oh, maybe that's it. He's really bad about scheduling. But I had a larger question kind of sure. surrounding him. Yeah. Um, so there's been a bit of a kerfuffle in, his, in the larger Twitch politics community and even in his own community, about his quote-unquote platforming of Nick Fuentes recently. Um, They've always had debates, but lately he's kind of been more chummy. He invited him into his own home to, you know, do a stream. And then what pushed a lot of people over the edge for some weird reason, they had a chicken and waffles lunch, and that was like, you know, the end of it. Um, I will say he's, I think he's provided a lot of adequate pushback I think he's kind of argued well against a lot of Nick's beliefs. And for what it's worth, he's uh, turned, seemingly turned a lot of the groipers, Nick's little gang, to say, hey, maybe this Destiny guy has some some good views or so on and so forth. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, like, I know you talked about Glenn Greenwald and the Alex Jones thing. That was kind of a bad platforming. But do, do you have a line? If somebody is, if, if somebody is arguing well and they're like, providing pushback can they talk to anyone that that kind of thing yeah i mean look if if um you invite if you go to the alex jones premiere and you interview him on stage and you challenge him and you come prepared to challenge him i have no problem with that someone like nick fuentes you know he's he's an actual white supremacist so i would just be careful and i would like really press him on stuff i i think you're making a fair point that He's probably followed by a bunch of dumb, confused kids online for the most part. Um, I feel like when I say stuff like that, people will be like, oh, you're excusing Nazis. Like, eh, calm down. Like, the kinds of people who get into a white supremacist stream are probably are a little bit confused and likely have some degree of shit going on and are probably somewhat malleable. So I could see Destiny, you know, performing a service on that front. I think it's a huge strikes me as a pretty big tactical mistake to like dine with the guy because then you, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's just like you, you, it's like you're just hanging out with him as friends. Um, so I wouldn't do that, but right. No. Th- so the, like, I, I do like, I think I honestly think Nick Fuentes himself is just a confused kid. I think he's kind of like, I mean, he's young. He's Some of his honest. backstory is crazy. He's, I mean, he's a schmuck basically. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, it's just it's something I've wrestled with because I think I think there's a method to Destiny's Madness. He's kind of playing five D chess all the time. He's a very smart guy. I feel like he sort of knows what he's doing, but it's just a. Uh, it's been an ongoing discussion, so I just wanted to get your thoughts. But no, I agree. I think the thing that, like I said, that pushed over everybody over the edge was the the dining with him. But he, yeah, even there, he was arguing with him, but it was still kind of like the optics of that are just insane. You know, so. just, it seems like maybe like an own goal. Like, what's the point of that? I, I'm I'm working on a piece about this. Um, Mother Jones article from 2016 about Richard Spencer that was a profile of Richard Spencer of Richard Spencer that to me is an example of why spending time with a loathsome subject journalistically you can produce really good stuff like this was an excellent profile of Spencer that a revealed him to be a moron because like he couldn't even define whiteness as he's saying we need a white country and b just revealed a lot of details about him so I hate this neurotic view that like you can't have any interaction with a bad figure. I think there's a time and a place for it. I also think like, I don't know, like ContraPoints did videos like where she explicitly like argued with the views of white nationalists. Now she wasn't doing it, you know, with them on the stream, but she basically platformed quote unquote their views to point out how dumb they were. So I think mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that is fine. And I'm really opposed to like the neurotic don't platform bad people thing. But yes, when you get to the point where you're debating actual white supremacists, you should just be, if you're going to do that, uh, you should be careful and strategic about it, and maybe no chicken and waffles. Fair, yeah. I don't want to burn a bridge between you two. This was just a no, no, no bridge. I mean, I would, t- I would tell him this, and I'm, I'm obviously not going to do a uh, like. I cannot go on a stream with someone because they went on like the se- second yeah, or yeah, third yeah. order cancel. I would never do that. So uh, it's, awesome. these are you ask a fair question. Thanks, Rand. I appreciate, it, man. Maddie, what is up? <laughs> um. I, this is not the question that I had when I tuned in, but I've been thinking about it since there's been a lot of conversation about, um, about Glenn. And I don't know if this came up in the first five minutes or if saying his name three times will make him sort of appear like Beetlejuice or something. But (laughs) there was that Owen Higgins piece about a month ago about sort of Glenn and like trans rhetoric stuff. And I don't know that I agree with most of it, but I think the part that really stood out to me in that writing was when I'm always, I always forget this person's name, but it's the LGBTQ person at Media Matters. Um, Ari. Parker Malloy. Oh, Ari yeah, Drennan. Drennan. Yeah. There was this, there was this part where I think Owen reached out to Ari and Ari sort of gave this quote about like creating these like permission structures with language, which just, that was the part that really sort of stuck out to me as crazy about that piece, because it really felt like it was giving this sort of like theoretical framework to the words or violence thing, right? Where it's not like active, an active threat that somebody is making. It's this idea that by advancing a sort of question or, um, you know, a critique of something, you're creating this quote unquote permission structure for violence to happen. And I wonder if, I wonder if that's something that you've seen as being yeah, more they, pervasive. Yeah. I mean, so the way it works is if you don't want to actually argue about something, you say this will be used to cause violence. So you will literally it's I find it sickening, but you will in this space, you will literally see people take the death of like a trans sex worker and it's because of turfs. It's because of because of like a lesbian professor in England who 
<laughs> is against self ID, and it's 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 it is funny because it's so crazy, but it's insane. Similarly, right. the idea that that people are being violent against trans people because of anything Glenn Greenwald has said is fucking deranged. I've had bad experiences with Ari Drennan on Twitter. She does not come across as like a good or good faith person, so I'm biased, but I'm very used to this rhetoric. And it usually comes from people who can't um, you know, argue on the merits. So they just say everything is violence or is inciting violence. But permission structure is a more sophisticated way of saying words are violence, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's just the first time that I had encountered it and it's sort of I don't know, to me, it reminded me of so much of the way that, like, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the 2020 race and racism discourse was happening, where it wasn't so much that, you know, you, you were being called out for racism, but it's like you were being called out for this thing that could symbolically be interpreted as racist, and therefore, right, you're creating this permission structure inroad for bad things to happen at your company, nonprofit, classroom, whatever. Anyway, it's, yeah. it, it's, it was on my mind after I read that article and all this Glenn talk just sort of brought it up. So thank you. Thanks, Maddie. Don't read Owen Higgins. That's the lesson here. Or Ari Drennan. Andrew, what's up? Uh, I have a really dumb question. Um, I love dumb questions. I'll give you a dumb answer if I can. Well, this is, is so I just saw on your Twitter feed from like a million years ago that you watched RRR. Yeah. Is there any chance that you and Katie would ever do the dance? <laughs> if from, the ed, from the end, this has no, no, the Hollywood movie. The, has... From the middle, when they when they basically outdance the British Empire. Oh my God, that scene was amazing. This is a so there's a scene in like an imperial palace in I guess Mumbai, and there's like all these stuffy white British colonizers, and then just like this Indian dude from like the village just outdances the shit. Oh, that movie was so awesome. Uh, anyway, yeah, Katie and I will do a music video of that if we get to uh, – uh, let's do some unrealistic number. If we get to 100,000 paid subscribers, we'll, we'll recreate okay. that dance. All right. I'm going to write that down. And then um, I have another recommendation for you. You should watch Bahubali, which is made by the same director and is equally like just a completely mind-blowing view into a, like another culture and another way of telling stories. So How do you, how do you spell that? Uh, B-A-A. H U, and then it will just pop up in whatever search engine you're looking for. Oh, cool! I'll check that out. Yeah, I highly recommend RRR for anyone who hasn't heard it. I was, I think I mentioned this before, but I was annoyed that it was dubbed into Hindi because it's in another language that I can't even. Telugu. Yeah. What was the other? Yeah, which is just you don't hear as much and is not as well known. I mean, I'm sure it's a massive region of India, but like I, it was just sort. Of, I don't know if you're watching it in subtitles anyway. I'd rather have the original audio track, but um, yeah. Highly recommend RRR. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Anytime. All right, everyone. Uh, all right, Shauna, you'll be the last one. No more calls after this. I got to go after this. What's up, Shauna? Okay, I just have to register a complaint on behalf of another adult, um, which are always the best complaints to register. Mm-hmm. Um, so my better half, my husband, who is a devoted uh, bar pod primo and listener and reader and such, um, and listens to your call-in, realize he can listen to your call-in through uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, and then once he saw the name of your podcast, he immediately unsubscribed because he feels he's glaring at me right now. He believes that single-minded conversations is a little too on the nose. So, <laughs> well, tell him. Give me that feedback. Uh, yeah, it's always been a dumb pun, but... My newsletter is called Single Minded, and 
So I figured I would branch off from this. Uh, oh, and I had like a little baby podcast before I even knew Katie that I think was called Single Minded Conversation. So it's lame, but I, uh, you know, lameness is sort of my brand. So tell your husband to apologize and do better, please. Uh, yeah, I will tell the uh, the lame electrical engineer that I, I live with who <laughs> uh, could beat you on, on the lameness. Uh, his point is there's no way you're getting to 100 thousand subscribers with having names like single-minded conversations well that's, uh... there's no way we're getting to 100,000 subscribers <laughs> under any circumstances so uh... Uh, katie's gonna dump your ass for van life if you do get to 100,000 <laughs> subscribers so i'm just forewarning you okay. that's fair enough thank that's you shana my, my deep thoughts thank you all complaints are welcome on this show which to reiterate is called single-minded conversations thank you guys for joining if you like the show, tell other people about it. Tell them about uh, the other stuff I do. jessysingle.substite.com is the newsletter. Blockreported.org is the podcast. Uh, and yeah, we're coming to Arlington, Virginia next month. That show is sold out, which is crazy. I'm so happy that happened. That's October 29th. We're hoping to announce soon a New York show date uh, in late October. So hope to meet some of you guys in person soon. But in the meantime, have a great Wednesday. Or whatever. It's Wednesday, right? Yeah, let's go with Wednesday. Bye, guys.